Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and favorite app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Go to SeatGeek.com slash BS to start using SeatGeek, especially with baseball season coming up. Don't forget to download the free SeatGeek app and our promo code BS. SeatGeek sends you $20 upon your first purchase. Today's episode is also brought to you by Simply Safe. There's no better way to protect your home. Remember, any home security company that says it's free has a huge contract and conditions attached. Simply Safe has no long-term contracts and the best 24/7 protection possible for just $14.99 a month. Visit simplysafebuild.com. You get my 10% off discount. simplysafebuild.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by The Ringer. My new website, our our uh, three times a week newsletter is going to launch in mid-March. So go to theringer.com. Subscribe to that, please. I beg you. Okay, we're off. Yeah. Clear enough for you. All right. <laughs> it's a rainy Monday here in Southern California. Dan Wetzel from Yahoo. He brought the rain. You brought the bad weather with you. You're in LA, and and I and I do not forgive you for the weather right now. Uh, people in LA, when it rains, they drive like the rest of the country when eight inches of snow hit. Yeah. Even 18 inches of snow. We, sh- <laughs> we should mention you have the uh, Wetzel to 40 podcast on Yahoo, which you do every day. I admire your commitment to that. I can't believe Blacker. I can't believe you've never been on the BS podcast before, or or even the BS report or any of those. I guess you couldn't have been on when I was at ESPN. You were at Yahoo. That would have been weird. Yeah, that, you guys. Are, I was yeah. banned. Yeah, it wasn't a ban. It was it was more of an uneasy, <laughs> an uneasy truce. <laughs> uh, lots. To I've discuss. been banned from a lot of places, so it's all right. Yeah. Lots to discuss. Um, UFC. Did you go or did you, you wrote about it? You you were actually there, right? I was there. Yep, one ninety six. It was awesome. Great so, night. Great great final two fights. Yeah. Every time this happens, everybody says it's a bad thing for the UFC, and that you actually wrote that. You know, this was the worst case scenario to have these two upsets. Isn't this what the UFC is though? Where it's just every time you think they have these new stars cemented, the stars lose. Well, yeah, what I said was it's the worst-case scenario for the short term, but the whole point of what they've done is build a real sport. Right. And that's why it works, because the fans can trust the UFC. So there's no doubt that this was a short-term bottom line was not good. They were projecting the Rousey home two to be the biggest fight they were ever going to have. Now, maybe UFC would have eclipsed that, but there was talk of 2 million pay-per-view buys wow. on the rematch of that fight. Now, let's say they're off a little bit. That's still Their, their record is 1.5, I think, for UFC 100. That I'm, I'm guessing on that. I don't need Dana being upset with me for getting the wrong numbers, but close enough. It was a huge fight, and all they had to do was wait for Ronda Rousey to get healthy, finish filming movies, and train, and they had a September or November mega fight that was going to make a fortune. So instead of doing that, though, which is what boxing would do, which is why we hate, you know, I love boxing, but why it drives, even the people who cover and love boxing drives us all crazy. It's what another MMA organization would do. Holm wanted to fight. She's a fighter, and she didn't want to wait. And the UFC said, all right, and they put her out with Misha Tate, who's a terrific fighter. And boom, Misha Tate wins in this dramatic way in the fifth round, and then Holm Rousey falls apart. Now, they'll fight at some point, 
but it's not the same as if you had waited. And and Tate Rousey, Rousey's beaten Misha Tate twice. So, but that's the fight game. You can't you can't predict this stuff. This isn't WWE. So they lost money, no question, in the short term. But I do think this is why the sport's so good and why there's so many loyal fans. Because you go if you really know the sport. Holly Holm fought a really good fight, and and she went out like a champ. I mean, she wouldn't even tap out. It's just crazy. And and, and there's actually a really exciting kind of three-pronged uh, battle there in the women's bantamweight division, which you never would have thought what it, you'd say, but it, it's a loss for the big money in the fall. Okay. Can I do a counter-argument? Sure. Why, why wouldn't I still get Rousey home? You will, but it won't. It'll still be a big fight. But people love that, or at least the mentality in the business is that that automatic rematch, especially if Holm stays the champion, would be would be bigger. Isn't I don't think it's going to be a small fight when they eventually fight. Isn't it bigger though that that she kind of ended the Rousey mystique and sent Rousey into this tailspin she's talking about how she thought about suicide briefly right after right. she got knocked out and she's trying to regroup and i i don't know i i think that's compelling whether or not she whether that home has the belt what happens if rousey fights tate next fall and misha tate beats her you don't now think rousey's got two losses and know? i don't know if there is a mystique it, it I, I agree most people are going to watch that's what and that's why this works. I mean, look, the last person you want to cry about losing money on Saturday night is the UFC. <laughs> right. The they, they took a $2 million company and made it a couple billion. Yeah. So they're going to make tons of money. It, it's like, you know, I always hate this and people talk about it like, oh, God, the NBA is in trouble if they don't get the Lakers and the Celtics in the finals. Like, oh, no, what if it's Detroit, San Antonio? They're going to lose a ton of money. Like, what, the NBA is going to sh- shut down shop because with a couple more rating points? No, who cares? Right. You want so yeah, maybe less people watch because of local markets. But when you're obsessed with the local market matchup to get your TV, that's like the NHL. You want to just be able to say, "Hey, this is what happens." And sometimes we get the right matchup. So it'll still be a big fight. But let's say Misha Tate beats Ronda Rousey now. Now she hasn't beaten her last two. Rousey dominated. But what if Rousey then retires? You just you had a you had a sure thing laying there, and now it's a little more uncertain. But the UFC is going to be totally fine. Why does Rousey have to fight the champ? Why can't she just fight home first and then fight the champ? They Dana wants her fighting Tate. I guess that's what he announced. Really? It's a good point. Yeah. Oh, see, I w- I would think the revenge fight would be the first fight she would have coming back. Right? That this is like Tyson Tyson Douglas yeah. two. Tyson Douglas two never happened because Douglas fell apart pretty much right I- afterwards. But. I don't think anybody cares about these belts either. I, I, no. Some people care, but it's, you want to see two people fight, and you don't. You don't really care what the belt is. So it I is don't know. true. It, right? it it is interesting that the belt seems to matter a little bit less in UFC because it really just comes down. I guess because it's so much more violent. It's almost it's almost like you know whoever wins. That matters more than the belt, just because usually the other person is either choked out or knocked out or whatever. You couldn't watch the fight Saturday night and say Misha Tate dominated. Yeah. Like, Holly Holm was going to win the fight, and and she was winning on all the scorecards. She's winning the fifth round. Misha Tate knows it, and in this absolutely dramatic fashion, makes this Hail Mary shot to take her down, and it works, and then holds on. I mean, it was a great fight. So it it doesn't hurt Holly Holm that she really lost the fight, but it's, it's what keeps you from the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's what keeps you from... 
the, the, the hype that takes a fight from really big to possibly the biggest of all time. It was shades of vision quest. Loud and Swain <laughs> down five points with shoot. One, one last Hail Mary move. I thought uh, the great thing about, or one of the many great things about UFC and the reason that I find myself gravitating to it more is you have these moments where somebody's getting choked out and they're just like, I'm not tapping. I can get out of this. And then they actually pass out. It was awesome. I mean, I feel bad for Holly. It's awesome. I watched a woman get choked out, you yeah. know, you know five, 10 feet from me. Um, it was awesome. But that's, she, let me say this about this too. Cause I, I noticed this Saturday night at inside the MGM grand. It was kind of a dull first three fights on the card. Yeah. And everybody wanted the third fight to end so they could get to the women fighting. And wow. they, that fight was, it was organically huge. This was not like, you know, even a couple years ago, this would have been like foxy boxing practically, or like it's a gimmick, or people weren't comfortable with it, or what do they look like? This was like everybody wanted to see these two fight because it was going to be a great fight. And as like female athletes, there's nothing like, oh, they try just as hard, or this is almost as good. It was every bit as good. Yeah. And this is not like your PC crowd at the. <laughs> if you've never been to a fight, it's not. This is not the PC crowd at the MGM Grand on Saturday night. Like this is hardcore, and they just love them because they fight hard. And it was a great fight, and that's that's pretty cool to see. Cousin Sal and I had been batting around um, if there was some sort of UFC betting strategy because it seems like, and you know this stuff better than I oh, do. Yeah. It seems like. Over and over again, somebody hits to a certain point where they're marketing the hell out of them and they become like the star du jour. The odds get swung out of whack and it's usually like four to one, six to one, seven to one, eight to one, and they lose. And this is this has been kind of the defining feature of the UFC these last 10 years. Over and over again, these supposedly invincible new stars just getting upended. Is it should Should the odds for these fights, no matter who they are, ever be more than two to one? No, but they end up betting it. Now, Dana said that after he said uh, the odds makers in this town are crazy. Um, I, I think you're. I don't know. I'd have. I kind of don't take gambling advice from me. Um, and there's probably a, a, a really solid analytical look into this somewhere. Well, did you uh, see McGregor? But my guess is the, bet the uh, bet the underdogs the, always. The McGregor uh, home four and a quarter favorite. Yeah. Both of them losing, if you had bet the other two, it would have been 17-1 to 1 payoff. Yeah, yeah. McGregor, I mean, this is how crazy the odds were. And um, I should have bet. I, I don't think I really can bet on a fight I'm covering. Probably not. Unethical, yeah. So I didn't. But D, McGregor was fighting a guy who's bigger than him. He's up 25 pounds in weight class in two and a half months. And he's fighting Nate Diaz, who, granted, had no no training camp, no sparring, nothing. He's basically just walking in off the street. But he has an incredible chin. You can't knock him. Nobody knocks him out real easy. And he's superior uh, jiu-jitsu and wrestling. It's not even close. And yet McGregor is, goes off at plus 425. I mean, that's just crazy that it was that high. And sure enough, he McGregor beat the crap out of Diaz, but he never hurt him. He cut him. But he never rattled them. Diaz, like the Diaz's, both Nate and Nick, they're like, hit me. The fight doesn't start until you've punched me twenty times in a row, and now we'll start fighting. Like they just, they like they they spot they spot him like a round or two. Just keep hitting me. Now we'll get going. And sure enough, he couldn't. He was too small. He, he every shot he was hitting him with would have knocked out a featherweight. 
he couldn't knock out a guy at 170. And eventually he just ran out of energy. And McGregor's look in his eye was like, I can't, I can't do this. And he stopped even trying to do combos. He's trying to throw these wild haymakers and eventually gets beat. That, there's no way that is that implausible of an outcome that it should have been this huge, unbelievable, um, unbelievable uh, up, upset. Yeah, I mean, to put on 25 pounds in 10 weeks, that seemed a little suspicious to me. I just thought, I guess the case against Diaz was just that he didn't have enough time to prepare for it. But, man, to be 4-1, to one, to be a 4-1 to one favorite when you had to put on that much weight. And also, like, they've cracked down on the on the PED testing, right? Yeah. So 25 yeah. pounds in 10 weeks, I don't even know how you do that. Well, I mean, he he's has to cut weight to get to 145, so he's probably fighting at 155 or 160 and then this was he fought Saturday night at 168 so it's not quite but to go so up in that scale so he put on scale, like 12 pounds at least yeah oh he but yeah he got much bigger watch take a look at the um if you're really bored take a look at the uh, the the weigh in pictures of McGregor at in December and then in in March like he doesn't look like the same guy right uh, it's just he just filled out he's so skinny back then so he didn't have to make a weight cut, but it's really the length. That makes sense. It's it's the length and and the the reach, and then he fought Nate Diaz, who is impossible to knock out. He's just hard to. He's not impossible if he's been knocked out, but you have to go. You have to hit him so many times, and so it was a really weird fight because McGregor did was winning. He was dominating the fight for the first round and a half, but he just couldn't. He has nothing but knockout, and so he couldn't. He could once he realized he couldn't take him down, and he was out of energy. Eventually, Nate Diaz is good. Nate Diaz like rides his bike like 100 miles a day, and is always in good cardio. But Diaz said he had no sparring, so he just took the first round like sparring. Yeah, and and just got cut up and just kept going. So it, it was uh, there were upsets, but neither were huge upsets. And and Tate beating Holm was kind of a a great just a great play. It was just a great move. So it was exciting. Like I said, there were big money got lost in the short term, but this is what, this is why I think fans love the UFC because their guys fight and there's not hiding them and it's not all concocted up and it's not, not scripted in any way. And so if, if this is what happens then so be it. And that's why they have a base of X number of hundreds of thousands of people that will buy every single pay-per-view and have for, you know, 15, 16 years. Yeah. And wrestling like wrestling right now, They've had a lot of injuries to main stars. They lost Daniel Bryan, like he retired. They lost CM Punk, obviously. They lost John Cena's hurt. They Lesnar's lost part time. Yeah, Lesnar's part time. Randy Orton's out. They just kept losing guys. And and wrestling's a sport where you have to have the stars. You have to sell the personalities. And UFC, it just seems like a self regeneration. Every every and, and couple the, months, the, it's somebody else. The pool gets bigger and deeper. Um, and that's one of the things that. You know, one of the criticism I hated after Rousey lost was this idea that, oh, Rousey was a fraud or the media made her up because Rousey was dominating. She was unbelievable. And we'd never seen a woman fighter that good before. But the sport grows so quick as these other fighters jump in on it. So, like, if you were like, if you watched like Royce Gracie run UFC one, Royce Gracie could not have been the champion at UFC 60. And you have the guys that, like, Chuck Liddell, you put him in the ring with John Jones right now, like, at their peaks, it's a total mismatch. The sport grows so fast that that every two years it's a whole new level. And, and I think Rousey hit a little of that where she was great, 
But all of a sudden, like Holly Holm, who's just an un- unbelievable athlete and, you know, boxing champ, kickboxing. She was a soccer player. She's tall and just all muscle. She spends a year really training, and she, she improves, you know, fivefold. So all of a sudden, the, the bar is going up, and Rousey can only go so far with it. So it's not that Rousey was a fraud when she was taking everyone out in nine seconds. It's that everybody else got better. And I guarantee you in two years, there are going to be fighters in there that make Holly Holm and Misha Tate and these ones look like quaint. And that's just the way the sport goes because there, how many people, how many women fight MMA? Well, now if you're sitting there saying, hey, I can make millions of dollars doing it, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to try to do that. And that's why the whole thing grows bigger and bigger all the time. You've been covering this for a while. I mean, it's you cover a lot of stuff, but this is you've always kind of been around this. When did you notice a mainstream kind of shift at at some of these big fights? Um, well, I don't go to all of them. I mean, I, you know, I started maybe in like I don't know what the first one I covered it was maybe like in the 70s or something, UFC 70s or something. I, I can't yeah. quite remember. But I think um UFC 100 was really big. It, it stopped the, the narrative about it stopped being like, what is all this? And this is, this is wrong to just like people accepting that it exists. And the human cockfighting narrative. That was kind of gone by a hundred. Yeah. And you started seeing guys like Anderson Silva. I think Anderson Silva was really influential because Anderson Silva was so spectacular and the way he would win fights were so you know, so dramatic, and you looked at him and like this guy's unbelievable. Where, for for all of their charm and uh, and, and enjoyment, the the Tito Ortiz Chuck Liddell era would, looked like it looked like a tough man contest. Even though those guys were way better than than that, you know, butter bean or whatever those old guys were. Yeah, yeah. But it, it really separated. I thought Anderson Silva was really influential because nobody could watch Anderson Silva and not go, "That guy's an unbelievable athlete." Holy cow! I can't believe he just did that. Yeah. And that was big. And you got to hundred. They brought in Lesnar, and Lesnar didn't last. And actually, that probably helped MMA, uh, even though he was really good for a while. That brought in a lot of attention, and I think people stuck with it. But, I mean, you go back to the old days, I mean, it was comical. Like, they used to have, I always joked, there was this uh, this company that was a big sponsor, was Condom Depot. I don't know if you remember the early, they'd have it on the ring, and, like, guys would wear it on their shorts. Like, <laughs> who needs a depot? Like, who right. is this for? <laughs> Who's the target audience? That he, like, God bless you, man. You need a whole depot? Um, like, that was their sponsor. And then they had, like, Mickey's Wide Mouth. They were really excited when Mickey's Wide Mouth signed up to sponsor it, you know? And then all of a sudden it got to, like, all right, we got Budweiser. Or I don't even know who sponsors them anymore, but it's big companies. And that changed. That was a big deal, too, because it just took the, the, the comedy out of it, although it was pretty funny to watch. It used to feel like... You were watching, like, it was like, I used to go over to my friend uh, Gator Anderson in Detroit's house to watch and be like 10 guys, like, crowded in a house watching the pay-per-view. And it felt like this underground thing you're watching, like, nobody else in the whole city would want to watch. And so it just would be a couple viewing parties and that would be it. And you're, there was no one to discuss it with. And at some point, it just tipped tipped the thing. Like Mandy Moore was the only celebrity that would go. Like the most bizarre celebrity that would go to all the fights was Mandy Moore. I never understood that one. Uh, and then at some point, it started. The, all the bars started showing it. And but I, I think Silva and Lesnar were really big on that. I remember. I think in two thousand two, I went. I wrote a column about going to a UFC fight or a pay per view. No, it wasn't a pay per view. It was just a card. It was in either Mohegan or Foxwoods. Me and my buddy J Bug drove down. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was definitely a certain type of demo. It was a pretty fascinating night, and I think uh, I think now it, it 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 seems like it's branched out more. Do you see kids at these things? There, you know, there are some, very few. I actually was walking in, and there was a dad with his daughter, who wow. was probably about ten. And we were coming in early, and the undercard is like they fight for like five hours. That's the other thing. It's pretty. Like if you're really into it, and there's a few thousand, there's probably 5,000 people there the whole time. They watch like 15, 20 fights. They just keep going all night. And this girl, we were waiting because it was in between a round, like the round was going on, so you had to wait. And she said she was looking around, and she saw uh, like a five-year-old. She goes, look, Dad, I'm not the youngest person here. And uh, he was laughing, and I was like, "You got some, you know, got some courage taking uh, taking her here." And she like, she loves it. So yeah, it's not a lot, but there's some of them there. I think it's mainly men, and it's mainly, you know, it's still you don't want to. If someone bumps into you at these things, you know, just just accept, right? Just just move on. Sorry, man. Even if he weighs like 112 pounds, he's likely to break your arm. I think it has such a huge advantage over boxing with the consistency of just being able to throw out. You know, twelve pay per views a year. Plus, they do a couple other things, but um, it's just the consistency of the product versus what you get in boxing, where it's like, what, what was the signature boxing fight last year? I can't even remember. You know, well, last year's Mayweather a, Pacquiao. No, but. but I mean, like signature. Like I'm going to remember twenty years from now. Right. You know, it's it's boxing. Sometimes just you get them on HBO. Yeah. yeah no, like, and and pay per view wise, you get a whole night of entertainment. I think that was a big thing when you started getting guys to go over people's houses to watch. Yeah. Is you'd get two and a half hours. So it was like watching a game. And there'd be five or they they there's normally five fights and then they throw at least one extra on and sometimes two, depending how long the fights are. So if you got six or seven fights, some of them are going to be good. And even if the main event is bad, you feel like you got your money's worth because you had a whole night with your with your friends. Like I remember buying a um She's, I don't know what it was. I can't even remember which guy beat him. I think it was Floyd Mayweather, Ricky Hatton, or else it was Pacquiao. Yeah. I can't remember who knocked him out. I bought the fight, and he knocked Ricky Patton out in like one minute into the second round. And I'm like, I just paid $60 for four yeah. minutes. Or, you know, I can't even remember who beat Patton. That's how bad the fight was. And I felt like I turned it off. I felt like I got ripped off. Um, you don't get that. So it was a lot. I think that's always helped it, and that kind of brought people in. So yeah, it's, you made, uh, it's you made- interesting. You made the crucial point. Sometimes the best fight in these UFC pay-per-views can be in the first hour. You just never know. So you actually have to watch the whole watch two and a half, three hours. I mean, uh, I, I can tell you, we cover, you know, we're big on analytics at Yahoo and what people are reading. The reason I've covered this for this many years is because people read it. Yeah. It's not like I like it. So, I mean, I like it, but I'm not like the biggest UFC fan by any stretch of imagination. I'm not watching every, you know, every fight on FS1 or something like that. It's just... People read it. We get huge traffic off of this. So there is a lot of the, – the, the fans are probably even bigger than most people recognize. I mean, it's stuff that a lot of the traditional media will cover does not nearly do as well, certainly not on the Internet, as MMA does. Right, You're well, not getting tennis to work like UFC or something like that. It's just not happening. Do you want firmer, stronger abs? Do you want to tone those hard-to-reach core muscles? Do you want to take your ab workouts to the next level? Let me introduce you to Slender Tone Connect Abs. Slender Tone's abdominal toning belt is controlled via a smart app that creates your personal training plan, tracks workouts, and sends customized tips to keep you motivated. Their EMS technology sends deep pulses that engage your stomach muscles, causing them to flex and contract like in regular exercise, giving you a stronger core. 
Join the 100 out of 100% of users who reported firmer, more toned abs with real results in six weeks. There's even a money-back guarantee. Visit slendertone.com today. Receive 20% off using offer code BS at checkout. Speaking of uh, fitness, are, it seemed like, is it fair to say UFC had a little bit of a, a PD problem there for a while and they've gotten rid of most of it? It's a, it's a fair comment, There's a lot right? of guys. A lot of guys' wives were getting HGH shipped to their house. Let's just put it that mm. way. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, obviously these they were and i mean they say that um it's solved um yeah i have no idea i'm not naive uh, it it's a, it, it's the one this and boxing to me are the two sports that the most have to be clean because yeah. it's one thing to hit a, a baseball 500 feet off a guy it's another to i mean you're attacking him you can kill him you can injure him you know it's it's there's there can be no tolerance to it but the idea that there isn't that isn't going on, I, they're doing everything they can. They turned over, they outsourced it to USAT. They basically just said, "We're not doing it." Here's here's the federal deal, and it's about as good as they can do. But um, they can probably do better. I don't know, but it, I'm not naive to think it's not going on. It's, I'm sure it's going on. Anytime there's money at stake, fame, people are going to cheat. It's human nature. Yeah, and especially if the if the drugs are ahead of the testing for it. Right, which they always will be. Um, how many Deflategate comms did you write over the last uh, 15 months? Oh, about 100. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wrote in 2015, I wrote, I bet you 60% of the things that I wrote, if not more, and I write a lot, had something to do with the New England Patriots, either between their actual football team and like winning a Super Bowl, Deflategate, or the Aaron Hernandez murder trial. It was just like, this is the greatest team. I, the the thirty for thirty or whatever you whatever you put one out whatever your new thing's going to be yeah on the on that 2015 Patriots is going to be the greatest murderers uh, Deflategate and the whole thing I wrote a lot of Deflategate but again people are fascinated by it it's got a it's got a huge audience people sit there and go how can you keep writing about that I'm like well every time we write it tons of people read it I found that thing to be fascinating I, I I'm someone who goes down the rabbit hole on certain stories and that was one of them but the swing of how, look, like almost everybody else at the beginning, I thought, oh, yeah, they totally did it, right? And then all the stories, all the leaks come out, and they look even more guilty. And, you know, why wouldn't these guys take a little air out of the ball? And it totally made sense. And then the way the Patriots fought back, I mean, you had Belichick doing this just unprecedented press conference, and he's quoting uh, my cousin Vinny. And then Bob Kraft shows up at the Super Bowl and does this, press conference where he says by the end of this the nfl is going to apologize to us and storms out like this was this was wrestling right and then the wells report comes out it looks terrible until you actually read the wells report and if you read the wells report and it is not easy to do because i've always said i think they they purposely wrote that thing in terribly it's really hard to read the wells report and these are really smart people so they know how to write they purposely wrote a confusing document to try to hide what they had. It's a sign of weakness. And if you really read it and you read it over and over and you take notes and then the scientists come in, you start going, oh, my God, this doesn't, this doesn't really add up. Then Goodell blows the whole case in May when he has the Patriots basically give up. And he could have just closed the case. And, and uh, Kraft basically says, take my draft picks. 
we're just going to fall on our sword. And all the Patri- all Goodell needs to do is take that as a global settlement and let Brady off the hook. And instead, he naively says, no, I'm going to take Brady down too. And then you bring in the NFL PA, who's not going to fall on their sword, and you bring in Jeffrey Kessler, who's a great attorney. And then you get Judge Berman, who starts releasing these transcripts and documents. And now everybody can read even more stuff, and you realize how much the NFL case is a joke, and it just goes on and on. And then you have the oral argument. So it's been an unbelievable soap opera if you really follow it. I get most people are like, this is the boringest story. This is the stupidest story ever. Who cares? But if you're into the if you're into the minutia, it's actually pretty fascinating. And then it flipped again last week, just when I thought yep. the Pats might be able to get their first round pick back, and Goodell was going to have to apologize all this stuff. Now, now you have the hearing last week. Three judges need to be convinced one way or the other, and a two to one verdict either way is going to solve whatever the appeal is. And you, and from the way people read how the judges were asking their questions, things they were saying. It seems like they're leaning toward the NFL, which is incredible to me. Explain this. Well, I don't think they're ever getting their first-round pick back because even when they make this ruling, it'll be after the draft. I think that thing's gone, and and that's a that's a big loss for New England, yes. particularly when they're so close to a Super Bowl again, and the window is so tight to lose a first-round potential difference maker is that's significant. Um, and it limits their ability to move up because that second pick is almost you, you can't miss on the second pick, and your down picks. It's just it's a bad loss for him. And Brady and Brady could still end up suspended for four games, which isn't uh, anything anyone wants to deal with either. But so they go into this appeal, and it's a three judge a, a, appeal process, and they were supposed to argue all of the art, the laws of an arbitrator and what role does an arbitrator have and was the uh, law of shop and things like that. It's, it's everything that wasn't to do with, with did the deflator go in the bathroom or not. So it wasn't supposed to be about the evidence. And yet, and again, this is why this is such a wild case. They make it about the evidence and they start grilling uh, Kessler on the stuff. And some of their proclamations, the judges were crazy. And they're just saying, oh, it's, overwhelming, you know, seems very convincing evidence or compelling, if not overwhelming evidence that the balls were deflated. Like every scientist that's looked at this thing says the exact opposite. And the NFL repeats this, this ridiculous argument that Tom Brady, let me get, let me start with this thing. Cause I don't, this is one of the more interesting things for any NFL fan was one of the reasons Goodell upped the punishment on Brady and up the charges on Brady was he said in their interview when Brady went to New York to meet with them, Brady claimed that in the days after the deflate gate thing broke, he never talked to John Dostremsky, the equipment guy. Then all of a sudden the story breaks. They talk like six or seven times. And at no point did Brady say to him, did, did they discuss the news that was floating out there that, oh my God, we're getting, uh, people are saying we're cheating. And Goodell said that as, doesn't make any sense. That feels like a lie. And when he came out with that story, I, I wrote a column saying that does seem like a lie. Like, how could you not go, what the hell's going on, John? Like, how could you not discuss it at all? It's just totally ridiculous. But when Judge Berman releases the transcript of the actual hearing, in the transcript, it shows Goodell asked Brady about it, or Brady was asked about it by different guys. And on five different occasions, he mentions 
that they did discuss all the news floating around. And they were talking about that as well as preparing for the Super Bowl. So Goodell completely misrepresented what Tom Brady said in the transcript. And the NFL thought that transcript would stay under seal, and they argued that that transcript should stay under seal. And Berman comes out and says, now we'll make it public. And that was kind of the moment to me last summer when I really was like, this is, this is a really crazy case. Like you have the commissioner of the NFL inventing testimony on the star player to get him to up the charges against him. And that was amazing, but what was even more amazing is the NFL was still making the argument that Brady and Jastrzemski never, never discussed Deflategate in the days when Deflategate hit last week at the hearing. And right. so the idea that this thing is still getting, uh, you know, perpetuated just makes no sense. And I think that's what a lot of people who follow the case closely, and there's this cult of people. It's just, just New England fans. Right. There's all these lawyers and like observers and, and scientists and all these people around the country, professors, that are fascinated by the, the other part of the case, not about did he deflate the ball, but all this other stuff. That's the one everyone was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're still going on that. And what's really crazy is the broken or the uh, the fact that he broke his cell phone seems to be the go to point for anyone who's right. against whatever. And when you look at all the stuff the NFL has done in the last ten years, I've made this point before. I'm going to make it again. Who in their right mind would turn their cell phone over to a league that you know doesn't always seem to do things on the level that leaks things to the media? That, does, that has intentionally tried to make people look bad that they were going against, why would I ever in a million years give my cell phone to Roger Goodell in the NFL? Right, and he was told he didn't have to give his cell phone over. He shouldn't have destroyed it. I, I wrote a, uh, like you said, I read a million columns. Big mistake. Should have put it in a, in a safe deposit box. Give it to your lawyer, whatever. I, would have, I disagree. I would have destroyed it. Why? Yeah, why, do. why do I want it around? What if it's subpoenaed and now I have all these pictures yeah. and texts and emails and why, why do I, I guess, want even I guess you're that? right. Because if they're going to play on, they're going to find something to attack you on, they'll just find something else. Right. So when that thing hit, I remember that story came out and the NFL case was wa- getting wobbly and all of a sudden, uh, I think it was Stephen A. Smith had the scoop that Brady destroyed the cell phone. And I just was like, Oh, here you go. Like, of course they leak that out to have a whole day of Brady destroyed the cell phone in no context. And that's the NFL is genius at this thing. Yeah. You know, like we still don't know who who was it that reported 11 of the 12 footballs. Someone told Chris Mortensen that he didn't just invent it. And it had to have been I'm guarantee it was a really good source. Significantly, so, significantly deflated by two significantly pounds. Deflated. Two pounds. You know, it wasn't happened. But. You go back to the beginning, because people say to me, the other one people say to me is, why would they do this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And I agree. Doesn't, it doesn't in, in the grand scheme of things. But if you go back to the beginning of the story, the Colts thought the Patriots were deflating footballs. And they intercept the pass, and they give the ball on the sideline to assistant equipment guy. And he pulls out a, a, a measuring device, and he measures the PSI level in the football. And it's below 12.5, of course, because it's 45 degrees up. At that point, this guy had no idea about ideal gas law. I don't know if he didn't take high school physics. I don't know what happened. He immediately alerts everyone on the sideline. Granted, the Colts are all hyped up, so they're not. it shouldn't matter what the Colts think. Of course they're going to think the other team's cheating. They all think they're the other team. They scream holding every single play on the sideline. 
So they all of a sudden the NFL executives were all at the game because of the AFC title game, including Troy Vincent. They come charging down, and they're going to measure the balls. Apparently, and Vincent said it himself, but apparently none of the people in this knew about ideal gas law either and the fact that the balls naturally deflate in colder weather. At the time, it, it, it seems they thought a football below 12.5 PSI is an automatic cheat. And if you're at 11 or 10.8 or, 10, or 11.2, you're significantly cheating because you can't just be a little bit pregnant on this. The truth is, you can be. And buried in the Wells report is the whole exponent thing that, that has been disputed by a lot of scientists, but even they admit the footballs could be as low as 11.3. So most of those balls they tested weren't even, they weren't even against the rules. But you left out the part that they didn't even really write down what the, what the numbers well, were before the game and all that. The guy didn't that even too. write that down. Who knows? Because they didn't care. So they yeah. were like close enough. So they might have sent a ball out there that was 12.3 or 12.4. Also, like and how then, do people, anyone who's lived in cold weather knows that when it dips below 40 degrees, your tires get a little, like sometimes the light will go on that your tires to low. It's because it, when it gets cold, things deflate. And that's what Belichick said a couple of days later, because Belichick went through the ringer on that. And I remember talking to Patriots people like he's he's, he's like, who cheated? You know, like, I think he had the same idea that that all of us had, like, what the hell happened here? Right. And, you know, remember at the time people were saying Belichick engineered it and Belichick should be barred from the Super Bowl. And, you know, it's so it's so outrageous. But that that becomes a thing. So, yeah. How do how don't you know? There's no science to it. So you get down to it. If you look at the footballs they tested, again, we have no perfect. I would I would recommend anyone watch uh, this guy at MIT, Dr. John Leonard, does a whole class on it. And he's an Eagles fan. I know he's at MIT, but he's an Eagles fan. And this guy's, I mean, just listen to him. He's a genius, right? He's an MIT professor. He'll he'll blow the whole thing up on YouTube for you, and does it a lot better than I do. And 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 the more scientists you talk to on this that say it didn't happen, the balls weren't deflated. That's when you sit there and go, this whole thing, you're working backwards from it. But that's what they had. They thought, we caught them. You cheated significantly. Now we're going to back it up by with confirmation bias, and they're looking for stuff. So, hey, the guy goes in the bathroom. Well, that does sound suspicious, but maybe he just went to the bathroom. Eight months before, he called himself the deflator. One of them did. Tom Brady's giving him gifts. I mean, that, that was something the federal judge was on. Oh, they, he, you know, he's giving inducements, these gifts. Every single player in every professional sport locker room for 50 years has given locker room attendance gifts. Like, that's how they pay, pay the guys. I knew a Boston Red Sox bat boy when I was in high school, and he'd come back with gloves and bats and everything from, from the visiting team. That's how they paid him. Go get me a McDonald's. He'd come back, and they'd give him a baseball. Yeah. So, I mean, this has gone on forever, but the judges don't get it. But anyway, back to the thing. They just were so focused on they cheated because there's a – a cliff. If you're under 12.5, you cheated, when in fact you didn't. And if you even you look at what the NFL proposed, there's only a few footballs that are below even their low standard. And again, we have no base measurement. But you would have to have, say, four footballs, I think it's four footballs or something like that, would be, instead of 11.32, they're like 11.2, which means the deflator would have had to gone into the the bathroom and taken the most minuscule amount of air out of the football to get from 11.3 to 11.2. It's idiotic. It's it's impossible and idiotic. Like it's, you just go. That's it. 
And, and also, then you go, what, what, what did that have to do with anything? They wouldn't have done it. And think so, about think about all the things Brady has to do before a football game. Why would he care that that the balls were seven point two percent more deflated right after they got checked? I mean, is this really something that's going to enter his brain at any it's, point? It's even one percent, Bill. It's like it's less than that. Of course not. It, it doesn't. The, if you if you if you get away from the first wave of narrative and then everybody piling on. You remember those two weeks after the AFC title game? It was like, ban Brady from the Super Bowl, ban Belichick, uh, no Hall of Fames. Like, it was over the top. And that's – the NFL plays the, the media perfect because our me, the media now is like Twitter and people yelling and quick analysis. And then, oh, four months later, we put out this completely confusing document that's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages long. Nobody reads it. Those that do start having questions. It takes, I mean, it literally takes, I hear people go, oh, I read the Wells. No, like, how, how long did it take you to read it? Because it should have taken you a couple of days if you really read it. And, you know, I'm doubting that just every single sports talk radio guy read it like that. And then you have, it takes months later for the scientists to start reconstructing it. And all of a sudden, all this time later, you kind of have the facts. And what should scare any other NFL fan, if you, I don't know if it's scare, but should be of note, is, this is only still being brought up because we're talking about Tom Brady and Tom Brady fought back and he's famous and it's the Patriots. If it's just another player on a team, nobody cares. Well, I still wonder if there's a chance he's going to sue the league because you, I think you could make a 100% accurate case that this has hurt his reputation and his standing. Like I, I watched the first episode of Mr. Robot and in the first 10 minutes, <laughs> Brady gets lumped into this cheater, bad person montage with like OJ. And it's like, I don't, I like this clearly did hurt his reputation. People do think he cheated. And if he did a county cheat, jury, yeah, Stuff a county jury. I like my chances. I'll take the case. I'm not even a lawyer. Yeah, seriously. Totally cheated. We'll put that thing in. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great point. He buried uh, the knife. He buried the needle. So uh, your gut check take, does he get a four game suspension or not? Uh, I think he might. I think he might I too. I think he might. I, I just, I'll never, uh, people think I like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like people think I got like a tinfoil hat on. I'm like, let me ask you something. Do you want to believe every scientist in the world or Roger Goodell? Like, right. how are you on the other side of this? I get it's fun that the Patriots got caught cheating. Like, yeah. It's a great story. People hate the Patriots. Right. Well, they hate anybody successful. That's why so many people were excited that, that Peyton Manning got you know, we're discussing stuff from Peyton Manning 20 years. Oh, look, he's not as good of a guy. That's our emotional. People consume news through emotion. Well, I t- they, want, I mean, they want to be confirmed. I'm not, oh, that guy's not that great. Ha ha. So I get all that. But well, I, if all the scientists say it didn't happen and Roger Goodell says it did. And you really want me to take Roger Goodell's word for it? As Boston fans, we get it because if this had happened to the Yankees in the late 1990s and there was some sort of maybe cork bat Jeter thing, but the bats had been replaced and deep down you knew he didn't do it, but Jeter might get screwed over. I would have been like, right. yeah, give him the chair. Who cares? I would have been so yeah, fired And then he'd be saying, duh, Jeter didn't. Who cares? Right. It was like Roger Clemens getting. Everyone's like, oh, good. Yeah, Clemens cheated. It, 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 so it's emotional. And most fans, they shouldn't want to read the Wells report. Do something better with your life. Like this is my job, so I did it. But you should you should just be like, yeah. Most people are just tuning in on the TV. They just hear it a little bit, and that's fine. That's how it should be. But that's why they can manipulate so much stuff. But it was orchestrated. 
it's fascinating. I mean, I look at, uh, Michael McCann teaches a class up at UNH on it. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine something becoming a class? Um, oh, we're, we're talking about the slight deflation possible deflations of footballs in a 45 to seven football game. We, we have to go, but give me, give me, we didn't get to talk about Trump university or Ben Simmons. Give me, give me one minute. <laughs> Trump university. Give me one minute about, uh, about Peyton Trump? Manning. No, Peyton Manning. Oh, oh okay. Anything? Um, Peyton Manning, I think that because of all the crap lately, people are forgetting how great of a quarterback he was and his ability to change the games. He was basically his own offensive coordinator. And he would – you talk to Belichick, Dick LeBeau, Rex Ryan, all the really great defensive guys he went up against, and he drove them nuts because they would have a play called and he'd stand there and yell Omaha 400 times and then three seconds left in this play, he'd switch the play and get eight yards and first down. Uh, I think that's underrated about Peyton Manning because of all the cartoon, the, the I mean, the commercials, the Papa John's, the, the Tennessee stuff. Like, this guy was unbelievable. When he was on his game, he was so hard to stop. And you had, you talk to the great defensive minds in the NFL, and they don't put those other quarterbacks in with him. It was like Manning and then all these other guys. I, uh, I thought Brady had some very nice things to say about him to Peter King. Although it bothers me that Brady talks to Peter King when, when I don't feel like Peter King had his back. I feel like Brady should only talk to you and me. And that's it. I don't think he should talk to <laughs> any other reporters or writers. I think he should, stick to, he should only talk to the people who had his back during Deflategate. But uh, I liked what he said about um, just how great Manning was and how he changed, how he changed the game and – I thought it was shocking that he said how many games of Mannings that he's watched. He made it seem like he had watched every Peyton Manning football game. Did you he read probably that? did. He also changed film study. I'll yeah. give you a real quick one that I wrote about was in, I think it was the 2010 AFC title game. The Jets were beating the Colts like 17-6, and Manning was struggling. Rex Ryan was killing Manning with all these, you know, he would switch up the, the who was, who was, this was the start of the, the D lineman dropping back into coverage and they just had Manning confused and Manning got up to the line and he saw a formation. He remembered from watching a 2005 Ravens game when Rex Ryan was the defensive coordinator. He recognized the formation audible hit uh Collie for a, a first down next play. Same thing hit Collie for like 46 yards The next play hit him for a touchdown and the whole thing switched and he won the game all because he saw something like that. This was like six years earlier in a different team, and he recognized it. And later Rex talked about it, and he just like, I don't know what to do. You know, he's so good that no other quarterback would find that out. And I think he pushed Brady into that. I pushed all – now every guy is a film geek. When there were film geeks before, but there were a lot of guys just out there saying, I got a lot of ability, I'm just going to throw it around. Now they all study everything. This quote Brady had about him was really illuminating, I thought. He said, the way he played football, the way he was consumed by football, all the mental energy he had to use, and I mean every day of the year you're thinking about it. Imagine what he must feel like with all that pressure off. 12 months a year, the time commitment, the mental commitment. I could tell you it never leaves you. You're constantly trying to be better, constantly striving to learn more. Think about how long he's been a great quarterback for Peyton. The pressure's probably off for the first time. Imagine how that feels. And to me, that quote said more about Brady than Manning. Yeah, I, <laughs> jealous. I, well, but I, I think Brady's like, I don't know what my life would be like if I didn't have that pressure 365 days a year and I'm not ready to find out. I think Brady's going to play until he's like 52. 
I think we're, I think we're gonna have to carry him out. Him. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think, and I think Manning was like that too. When you read, when you read the the most fascinating part of this whole Manning thing is I don't think he wanted to retire. I think he wanted to keep playing, and I don't think he had a good offer. I think Denver wanted to get rid of him. Really, the L.A. Rams were the only team that were sniffing around a little bit, and they wouldn't even guarantee him a starting job. And he kind of begrudgingly went away. And uh, I, I just don't believe this was like one of those things where he's like, I'm done. This is great. I really think if anybody had, had come to him and said, be our quarterback next year, I think he's doing it. I really I do. Almost every single app, no one walks away. No. And, and none, none of, including regular people. You just get cut from your high school team or you get to college, or you don't, you know, you, you basically get shoved into right field and little league or something like that. Like, everyone keeps playing as long as they can play. It's just most of us are told to stop playing much earlier than 39. And I do think he sat out there and just said, let's see what comes in. Maybe well, someone comes in with a great offer, and I'll take it. I, I agree with you, because it is. It's all-consuming to these guys. And everyone else that's there says, oh, just go in the broadcast booth, sell your pizzas. It's not the same. It's just, It's just not the same. I feel cheated because I was so excited to watch Peyton Manning on the LA Rams next year with Jeff Fisher going seven and nine. It's like this Joe Namath kind of ending for him because so horrible. I'm a diehard Boston fan. I wanted it to end badly for Peyton Manning. Why couldn't you it would show up just to watch him get sacked five oh, times? A game. I would have loved it. I would have gone to all the games and rooted for the other team. It was uh, a lost marketing opportunity for the Rams. Yeah. Do you do you feel like? That second Super Bowl changed his legacy at all because he really did nothing in that game. I thought no. the previous game was when he really had an impact against the Pats. I don't think it changes his legacy. He should be going. He should go down for all the reasons that he was a great quarterback. Yes. he didn't win that thing. No, Von Miller won it. Demarcus Ware won it. You know those guys won it. He didn't win it. It's great that he did it, and you know I I recognize how hard it had to have been for him to say I'm going to be a game manager. And in a lot of ways, he did a good job with that. Because if you're going to have a game manager, you might as well have like the smartest QB ever be your game manager. Yeah. But I don't know that they weren't better off with Osweiler in there sometimes in that in that game. He couldn't throw the ball. So I think it was a like, look, the media particularly get really excited about, you know, storybook endings and narratives and all this stuff. And I think it's cool that he got to walk out with the Super Bowl. I don't think and it was I'm cool. Sure I, I didn't find it cool at all. I didn't enjoy it in the least. If the, only you'd thrown it to Gronk on the two-point conversion, right? You'll never forgive Brady for that one. Um, uh, it oh was my God. It, that that ends it. So so he gets that, but I don't think anyone could look at that second thing and say he had anything to do with winning that Super Bowl. He had two drives. I played it perfectly because I bet uh, on the Broncos and the under, and all, I had all kinds of Broncos bets. So I really I couldn't lose either way. But I do feel like. He burned Jamie Collins twice with Owen Daniels in the AFC yeah. title game on two really good passes where he just Jamie Collins is the best defensive player in the Pats. And he lost the game for the Pats basically on those two plays. And Manning kind of used him and abused him. And that was to me, that was his biggest contribution. That uh, game, when you go back and look at it, and I'm sure you have yes. tears and, and in it's your phone and all that. It's still on my DVR. Yeah, there was a it was almost unfathomable how New England lost that game. Uh, it's just like so many. I think one of the most underrated or least discussed plays was the the third. It was like third and ten, and Amendola caught the ball like five yards from the five or six yards from the first down, uh, and he yeah. makes this this gutsy play yeah. to get it to one. Like dives under and does his Amendola thing, mm. and then it's fourth and one, so they go for it. If he just gets tackled, 
it's fourth and six and they kick a field goal. Yeah. It's uh, like little stuff like that. That's why football is awesome. It's it's crazy that the Pats won four Super Bowls and yet had like four or five of the worst losses of my life. <laughs> You're spoiled. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear you. Nobody. Not one person. Viking fans not and Bills person. fans and Browns fans are going crazy right now. Even uh, Belichick would be like, look at Bill. Just <laughs> chill out, man. I got you to the AFC title game every year. All right, Dan Wetzel, we can read you at Yahoo Sports. We can listen to your podcast, Wetzel to 40, every single day. Uh, I'm glad we finally did this, and uh, and I look forward to talking to you later in the year as we edge toward either the end to Deflategate, UFC 200-something. There will be some reason for us talking. Thanks for coming on. All right, thanks, Bill. Hey, it's officially golf season. We're one month away from the Masters. CBS is showing those promos. That's when you really start thinking about golf. And you should have been thinking about it anyway because the new Callaway XR Driver was designed with the world's leading aerodynamic engineers from Boeing. Yeah, Boeing, the place that makes jets. They wanted to find the most speed possible on a drive. So their new XR Driver has a larger head, a hotter face, a streamlined shape, and an extremely forgiving driver. You want an extremely forgiving wife and an extremely forgiving driver. Those are the two things I've learned in life. I took the XR driver to the driving range in January, and uh, and I thought somebody laced my blue bottle coffee with PEDs. They might have actually. I can't rule it out, but uh, it's fantastic. And you know who's using it already? Phil Mickelson, who's who's been had a resurgence 2016 so far. Some Masters, Masters. Uh, I don't know. I, I might put some money on him to win the Masters. Anyway. So visit CallawayGolf.com for more information on the new XR driver. You can buy it. You can brag about it. You can impress your friends with an exaggerated story about how you teamed up with Boeing to be to to have a better drive. The new XR driver from Callaway. Forgiveness meets fast. All right, uh, we're bringing on my dad because I know he wants to say goodbye to Peyton Manning. Dad, uh, where did Peyton rank among? Uh, the scariest QBs we've ever gone against for you. I I would have. That's exactly what I would have said to that question. Um, of all my years watching football, teams coming in to play the Patriots or us on the road, uh, nobody came close to scaring me as much as Peyton Manning. Really? Uh, yeah. Not even Elway. No, no. Um, I just, it just seemed like, and I, and I know we won some of those games, but I think particularly the last five or six years, uh, I mean, we lost some games we never should have lost. And Manning always seemed to be in the middle of something, a last minute drive, uh, an improbable pass that, that we just missed intercepting uh, that that uh, him changing plays at the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, it it just drove me crazy, and I I just always thought there was some aspect of him where he was very confident playing the Patriots, and it made me nervous. I would so, still for me the top three are Elway, Manning, and uh, and Marino. Yeah, well, Marino. Marino killed you know, us. I, I see. Yeah. I would maybe Marino is number one because I don't even, I can't even ever remember beating Marino until he turned into a mummy near the end. But the first ten well, years, we never beat him ever. 
the difference for me with Marino, and, and certainly I, I, I agree that I, I always felt Marino had a number, and that the uh, what he and Manning certainly had in common, the quickness of them, their release, getting rid of the ball before we could get to them. I mean, we, we had very few sacks against either, either of those guys. The difference for me with Marino was our teams weren't very good back then. Yeah. And and I don't, you know, Marino, yeah, he was scary, and but uh, our teams weren't very good, and, and I'm not sure that Marino was necessarily the difference. We weren't good. so We beat him once. We beat him yeah. in the AFC title game in the 85 season before the Bears beat us by 36 points. Yeah, so once. Um, and I, But I don't think Miami's team was as strong as it was earlier in Marino's career. But, again, that's a big difference for me. Uh, I, I didn't have confidence in those Patriot teams, and that was exacerbated by how good Marino was against us. For me, Manning, I, I feel Manning's play probably cost us two or three Super Bowl visits. Um, and and you look back at some of those games, and sometimes they'll have them on the uh, NFL Network. I still don't know how we lost those games. I, I, he he pulled rabbits out of hats, um, and we never could get to him. He, you know, we it, it kind of reminded me of that that '08 Super Bowl when we had uh, his brother wrapped up, and we should have sacked in the fourth quarter, and it didn't happen. Constantly, that happened against Peyton Manning. We almost got him. We were just there, ready to pull him down. Gets the pass off. Open running back runs for thirty yards. Uh, in my lifetime, he's just the quarterback that most impacted me negatively. So I want to remind you of a stat. Do you know what John Elway's record was against the Patriots? But we weren't very good in those years. And do you know the answer to this question? No, I don't know the answer. He was ten and zero. We never beat him. <laughs> well, but we 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 stuck. Yeah, but I mean, do you remember that the night that when we made the Super Bowl in '96, when Jacksonville beat Denver, that was about as excited as I've ever been about a non-Patriots football game. Yeah, remember that? Because it was I, like, oh, they took out Elway. We never would have beaten Elway, and then all of a sudden we're in the Super Bowl. That's a good point. We probably wouldn't have beaten Elway. No, but, he never. He owned us. Yeah. I I go. I would go Elway one. Um. The thing with Manning is I really felt like we could beat him those first few years. Remember, we Brady beat him as the first season that he became the starter. Then we beat him in the playoffs twice, and I was like, oh, we own this guy. And well, then from I that said, point on, I, he started beating us. Yeah, that's why I clarified the last five or six years. You, you know, in, you and I have talked about this. There's always, it seems like a defining moment that changes things. And for me, it was that AFC championship game. When when we were up eighteen going into the up third 18 quarter, and yeah. and Be- I think it was Belichick did the fourth down and fourth and two, and I could still see the no that was a, that eyes. was a different game. You're mixing games. Uh, okay, well that that one too, but the one you're talking about is no the well. the fourth and two was like in uh that was that was a Sunday night game. Okay, and which uh, is the one you're re- which is the one you're referring to? Well, the 06 AFC title game. 
That was uh, the we beat San Diego in San Diego the week before when we were underdogs. When we had, that was the Rache Caldwell season. We had nobody. Uh, Brady yeah. had nobody we, on we, the team. Oh yeah, we had no wide receivers. We had no running backs. We had no anybody. That was Brady's <laughs> greatest year. Lawrence Maroney, Rache Caldwell, Jabbar Gaffney, and right, Ben Watson. Right, right. And, and we just we should we still should have won. Well, they see because ESPN hates the Patriots. They never show any Patriot. You know they have those ESPN two greatest games. Right. There's never been a Patriot win. It's always like Super Bowl forty two. It's always the Colts AFC title game. It's like whatever the five worst Patriot I, I losses agree. ever. They're always on ESPN two. I agree wholeheartedly that uh, it's it's always a game where Manning pulled it out at the end and we lost. Yeah, you never uh-huh. see like the game when we beat Manning twenty to three in the snow in the AFC right. title game. That that's not on or whatever round that right. was. That's never on ESPN two. But, uh, my list would my list would have Peyton Manning, uh, Dan Marino, and John Elway. And, so you know, Elway, it's like I beat you ten out of ten times. What else do I have to do? Well, it, again, the the key for me was we probably had one good team in those ten years, so he should have beat us. Whereas for Manning, in the last six seven years, you know, after the '04 Super Bowl. Um, we had good teams, uh, and always standing in our way was Peyton Manning. Yeah, and and yeah, we beat him a couple times. But putting aside the first few years, if you look at the record from '06 to '16, uh, there were games that I just think we should have won, and he was the difference maker in in one way or the other. Hence. Uh, whenever either the Colts or Denver had the ball and Manning was behind center and and uh, yelling out his, you know, play-calling changes at the line. Uh, See, I'm going the it, other way. I, I think yeah. Manning, I think it's like the 86 Lakers. Our best team in 86, the Lakers just, they, they – they intentionally threw the series before so they wouldn't have to play us in the Western Finals. They intentionally lost to the Rockets. They didn't want to get well, their asses sure kicked. if they intentionally lost to the Rockets. Well, no, just bear with me. Um, okay. And then in 07, when we had our best Patriots team, guess who decides to lose the week before he's about to play the Patriots? Guess who gets upset by Phil Rivers and the San Diego Chargers? Oh, yeah, Peyton Manning. He didn't want any part of the 07 Pats. That's my narrative, and that's the narrative I'm sticking to, whether it's right or wrong. That's what makes me feel better when I fall asleep at night. The 86 Lakers and the 07 Colts, cowards. Total cowards. Didn't want any part of us. You don't well, like that? You don't like that narrative? It could have been in the back of Peyton's mind. I'm not, I'm not disputing it. I, he, didn't want to, he didn't want to lose to Brady. He just didn't. I really, didn't. Don't, think, I don't really don't think a Magic Johnson team purposely avoided the Celtics no, but you know, and allowed Houston to win that series. But. No, I think they rolled over. I think they, they uh, subconsciously they didn't want to play us. Now it's funny when I when I used to do TV with Magic when we'd be sitting in that room for eight hours. Right. At least ten different times, I I started in on how the '86 Lakers didn't want any part of the Celtics in the finals, and Where was he, would his get, response? he would get so mad. He was like, "Oh, you're lucky. You're lucky we weren't there because we 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 matched that. We would have beaten you guys." He's like, "You weren't there. We'll never know." We were getting these arguments. He he had a good sense of humor about it. But Unfortunately, Magic could always respond with, "Yeah, eighty-seven. During that five-year period, 
we did meet you three times, and we won two of those three times. So. Yeah, but as as my point to him was always, well, it was a four year it was a four year battle, and we each won two titles. It's not our fault that you forfeited nineteen eighty six, which is a hard yeah. one to refute. I'm sure that went over real well. So. But yeah, so um, in '07, when they were the defending champs. Um, and then San Diego snuck in. That was like a weirdly dissatisfying AFC title game. Remember Phil Rivers was playing on a bad knee? Right. And uh and the Pats eked it out. Um yeah. Anyway. Uh well Peyton Manning, hey, while I while I still have you on here, I disagree. I think Elway was the scariest guy. The more I'm thinking about it, I was like I never ever in a million years felt like we were ever well, gonna what be John Elway. Because we sucked. Matt Cat- Matt Castle was quarterbacking those teams. Patriots still would have lost. It, for me, the quarterback didn't make the difference in those years. And then later on, the last five, six years, Manning did have an impact in games against good Patriots teams and and therefore scared me more than uh, either Manning or Elway did in the earlier years. All right, well, great. I'll get you a framed Peyton Manning picture. You can put it up in your <laughs> den. You liked him so much. I don't um, like either Manning, by the way. <laughs> not just Peyton Manning. And I don't like the father. I know. <laughs> I mean... It's my least favorite family. <laughs> <You're> really... <laughs> <laughs> I blame the father. I mean, yeah. obviously, uh, you've become successful and thanks people like you and it's all because of your father's influence look right. at peyton and eli so we can blame the father right that was the best was one of the best mailbag questions i ever got was this guy who came up with this fake movie about two patriot fans going back in time to try to kill archie manning before he had peyton and eli <laughs> <laughs> it's a great we idea for had, a movie we would have had 10 super bowls yeah we do brady would have just <laughs> millions of trophies really uh, all right, I like well, that idea. Well, it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. While I have you on here, um, just very quickly, Holy Cross is in the Patriot League finals on Wednesday. You they didn't were... have to. You didn't have to text me and tell me. By the way, I, I already I had it on my TV that is true. and I You're... was watching it. Yeah, you were. I forgot you were retired. I, it, was, it was circled. It, it was. Uh, although I have to admit, uh, holding Army to thirty-eight points, it was a weird game, wasn't it? They're playing a one-three-one. The best thing about watching basketball like that, after you, you know, I I just watch mostly NBA and watching like the Warriors and all these te- these slashing kick teams that have just mastered offense, and then you watch, you know, the Patriot League semifinals and Army is just completely flustered by a one-three-one. Nobody knows what to do. They don't know how to attack it. And I was thinking right. like, if you played a one-three-one against the Warriors, Steph Curry would have one hundred and twenty points. It helped that Army missed 15 layups. And, right. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed when they scanned the uh, crowd and they showed the small section of Holy Cross Rooters. That was great. And, Those are the parents, uh, right? Oh, yeah. It was, it was. I don't know if they were parents or they were just fans who followed the team. And they were all the ex-athletes who, when they played at Holy Cross, they weighed 180 and now they yeah. weigh 380. <laughs> it was a very interesting crowd with their purple shirts on. A good rooting section. I liked it. It, it was what definitely... What are our chances against Lehigh? So Lehigh was what? only... Lehigh's record is 17 and 14, and they won twice, which means they were a 500 team during the season. I'm feeling pretty good. Well, they beat us twice in the regular season. I did look that up. 
Well, it takes a while uh, for uh, Bill Carmody's offense to really set in. I also I think one of our key players uh, missed eighteen, sixteen games, something like that. I like we had a couple of really good looking players out there. That freshman point guard, yeah, the lefty, he was very good. And that Malachi kid, he could really leap. I'm I'm optimistic about our chances Wednesday night. We've uh, we've been watching Holy Cross basketball because that's where you went to college and that's where I eventually went to college. But we used to watch the games on Channel 27 when I was a kid. Right. So it's been, I don't know, it's been 40 years of Holy Cross basketball for me. And we, we've we never really had a good coach. I, I, hate to, I hate to put it that way and put it so bluntly, but never have really watched Holy. Even when Ralph Willard, when they made the tournament a couple times, I never felt 100% comfortable with the in-game stuff. Did you? No, which, you know, it, and I, I like they interviewed the coach after the game, and I was impressed with his uh, poise and the comments that he made. I, not having seen them play all year long, I'm puzzled by why, by how they lost 19 games. Because they were well coached yesterday. They were They're very often, well coached. Yeah, I was, I was how impressed. do you lose 19 games? They must have, you know, they, must have taken a while. Like yeah. Maybe with the freshman point guard, and they had another freshman. It took a while to get them acclimated, but they certainly looked um, cohesive yesterday. And I look forward to the game. On it would be, I mean, Holy Cross could make the NCAA playoffs with a fourteen and nineteen record. I think we're going to be a sixteen seed. The good news is there's really no good college basketball team. So Tate, is there like are there four scary one seeds? No, no, not, not really. At all. No. So you like our chances? Yeah, I like the 16-1 upset. The Holy Cross is shocking the world. <laughs> it would be the greatest moment of my life. I, I, it really I, would. I, if we if we were the first team to go 16 seed over one seed, that would be it. I'd retire from sports. I, I, I do have one uh, bitter sports moment to share that involves yeah. Holy Cross. don't remember the year. Um, we were playing a team with Tayshawn Prince on it. Oh, yeah, that, and, was, uh, that was in 2003. Okay, a very winnable game. Actually, came down to the last couple of minutes. Tayshawn Prince, I never liked him afterwards. Can't believe he played for the Celtics. Yeah. He, we couldn't stop him. Kept making that corner jump shot. and uh, Yeah, that was one of those Ralph Willard seasons. It was yeah, the same yeah. thing with Dwayne Wade. I mean, these are great players that ended up playing in the NBA, but it was those are, I always felt like those were winnable games. The Marquette game, you're right. That was the uh, other game. Yep. Remember that? We were like, who's this Dwayne Wade? This Dwayne Wade's yeah. this Dwayne Wade's really good. Is this guy going to be a good pro? Like both of us were. I think anyone right. who watched that game thought that that guy had some major potential. Um, right. Hey, the Nets keep winning, and every time they win, it breaks your heart, and you hate Brooke Lopez. If you saw Brooke Lopez, would you try to trip him so he could miss the last 20 games? <laughs> well, I, I mean, he, in the beginning of the season, we said, when is this stress stress when is the stress fracture in his leg going to occur? Foot going to, going well, we, to occur? To be and fair, we weren't. Happened. Hold on, but from a Schadenfreude purpose, we weren't rooting for this. We we well, I, we I'm just sure he's assumed. A very nice guy. We just assumed but, he was going to play not eighty-two games because his history would suggest that yeah, he exactly. goes down we from time to time. Wishing ill will no, on the man, but, no. But his history showed us 
told us that most likely he'd play about 35 games. Yeah, we penciled him in from between 35 to 55 games. And he's played every game this year until Saturday night they rested him. So I, I hate to admit this because I'm probably the only man, person in America who was on a, on his computer following the game, not not watching the game, but following the written description of each play. Yeah. And it comes down to... Brooklyn's down by a point. Oh, this and, is against uh, Denver. Yeah, against yeah. Denver. The the uh, backup Larkin point guard Larkin takes a misses a layup. I think the game's over, and then it scrolls on. Lopez tips it in. Nets win. I mean, really? Oh, that's what it said. It said Larkin missed it, and then it said Lopez tipped it in. <laughs> yeah, I thought the game was over. And yeah. you were watching this on your game cast because you don't right. have league pass. Yeah, I don't have league pass because I'm I'm trying I'm on a fixed income and and, and uh, this my is son terrible. hasn't been helping me out. So when, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I was watching Gamecast. It's the it's saddest scrolled. thing I've ever heard. You should. It sounds like you're in like a nursing home. <laughs> you and your roommate were watching Gamecast. So we have we have a uh, let's see. Brooklyn is 18 and 45. Phoenix they, won last night. They're yeah, so they're one game behind Brooklyn. No, Phoenix is 17 wins. Brooklyn has 18 wins. I know. Yeah, yeah. One game, so Phoenix so. is, how do we say behind or ahead? I don't know. Behind because, well, it, it, well Brooklyn's it, four. That's a good point. It's our perspective. They're behind because Phoenix needs to win two more games. Right. And Phoenix, Alex Lynn's been playing well lately. Uh, right. And then Minnesota's at 20 wins. and um, Well, that was a big game for them to rest Lopez and Young because yeah. they're playing Minnesota. And then yeah. the Lakers are getting a little bit frisky. Just a tiny bit. A little bit frisky. A little bit. So I they did beat watch, the Warriors. That was an amazing uh, game yesterday. Yeah. Crazy if, game. If the Warriors are going to go four for 30 from three-point land, I think Holy Cross could beat them. It's just, I think Curry was what one for ten. It was the I mean, classic uh, day game after a Saturday night in L.A. for the road team. I don't know where they went the night before, but I can't imagine uh, it was a it was an early night. Um, I personally, if we could get into, the, if we could just stay in the top five, I'd be happy because I'm not positive that you could get the fifth pick in this draft and you might end up getting the best player. I think it's one of those. It, it would really well. Yeah, um, you're right. The ping pong balls. If somebody beyond the top five, one or two teams leaps leapfrogs, then you're stuck with the sixth or seventh pick. Which then we're in that. That's happened to us with Marcus Smart. We had the fourth spot and we went back two spots. Remember? Didn't we? Right. Or or we lost the. It was we had a coin flip for the fourth spot, which we lost. Which you were the only person on the internet watching the coin flip live. Somehow you had a live stream. You had a GoPro camera in the coin flip. <laughs> And then, what, so we you lost. Mean there wasn't a large audience for that. No, so we lost that, and then somebody leapfrogged us, leapfrogged us, and we went from four to six. But I actually like Marcus Smart. I mean, I'm happy with it. Uh, quickly, and then we have to go. Um, this is a really likable Celtics team. You went on Friday night. You saw them beat the Knicks. Uh, that very said, likable. Uh, you said the fans stood for the last three minutes, just old you know, school standing up. I can't. I just can't remember the last time that happened except a Cleveland playoff game. This, And certainly I hadn't seen it happen in the regular season this year. But 
It was about two minutes and 45 seconds to go. It was it was back and forth. We had come back. Uh, uh, we scored a basket. The, the crowd stood and never sat down. And uh, it was really loud and very supportive, and it was a great crowd. Uh, I, and it was interesting because there were a lot of Knicks fans there, as you know, when the Knicks come in to play Boston. Yeah. A lot of the blue shirts in the crowd, people who bought scalping tickets or season ticket holders put the tickets online and the Nick fans bought them. That's your move. And they were they were kind of loud and obnoxious as you would expect them to be. So it was nice to shut them up. Hey, can you troll crowd. Can you troll <laughs> the Nick fans really quickly and and tell them how unimpressed you were with Porzingis? Well, I, I, I was impressed with him in the first quarter and then I forgot he was even playing. He, oh. he, he, he did nothing out there. Oh. After the first quarter. Oh my but, God! But I did read the next day that uh, he he hurt his leg somehow. So. Oh, that was he, that's a, a disappointing very, ending. He's very impressive physically. He's you don't you don't realize how big a man he is. Yeah. Until he, like he was standing next to uh, Zella, who's a good seven foot seven foot one, yeah. and uh, he made Zella look small. And and certainly you can't block his jump shot so i'm impressed i'd love to have him on my team i have to be candid i mean he what is he 19 no, years see, old that did, years that old? didn't go how i wanted it to go you were way well, too complimentary I, i'm sorry but i really like porzingis I, too i i'm i'm all in i think if they do the draft over again he's second oh uh, you know you talk about this year's draft and you get the fourth or fifth pick boy can you imagine the celtics getting him and adding him to our team um, well, what about they, what about last year when we were rooting for them to make the playoffs, and then they made the playoffs, and then it turns out that draft one through thirteen was about as loaded as loaded as it got. Actually, one through fourteen because Cameron Payne's really good on OKC. We had the sixteenth pick in a fourteen player awesome draft. Yeah, that yeah, sucked. That, is true. that was a bummer. I mean, that that book has been terrific. A uh, couple of those, you know, even Winslow not putting up big numbers. But he, if you like look at Winslow. his stat line, yeah. he does a lot of assists and rebounds. I like that guy. I like that Miami team. I, I think that team's starting to feel too, a little actually. sleepery. But I like Winslow and a lot. I think he's going to be excellent. I, I didn't like they picked up Joe Johnson because I think he really helps that team playing the forward spot. They didn't just uh, pick him up. That I, I think they resuscitated him. He was like a walking corpse for this whole season, and he actually – looks like Joe Johnson a little bit again. That team's a little scary. I, I hope – I don't think we would see them in round one. It depends. I mean, they're a half game behind us right now. Right, but it's um, three three seed, four seed. We're going to play yeah, one of those crappy Charlotte, Indiana type teams that will probably beat us in six. We just can't go on a three or four game losing streak because if you look at how tightly the teams are bunched, it, it looks like we're pretty set in terms of getting in the playoffs, but – you go on a three or four game losing streak, and suddenly you're the seventh seed. Right, uh, and that's what would worry me a little bit. Did you watch the Cavs game on Saturday night where we didn't get a call for two straight quarters? It was incredible. No, we were uh, we were not home, so I didn't uh, see that game. It was good. It was like toe to toe, toe to toe, toe to toe, and then thirteen straight calls went against us, and everyone on the Celtics lost their po- composure, and I include myself because I had like four tweets on. That getting very upset about it. I can't handle when when 
You know, and then the Cleveland fans seem to think that LeBron never gets any calls. I don't think I've ever watched a, a Cleveland game where he goes to the basket and doesn't get the call. So I don't know where what the truth is on that. Right. But well, it's kind of funny because um, I I did read on Sunday that like Smart got a technical and the players yeah. were whining too much. So I made a guess who one of the three referees was, and I was right. Scott Foster. Scott Foster. Yeah, Celtic killer. I just made a guess, and he was one of the three refs. <laughs> yeah, he's so, been killing I mean, us how forever. How did that happen? Yeah. Scott Foster, every time I see him, I think of 2008 game, uh, NBA Finals Game 5 in L.A. When he he basically just put a Laker jersey on. It was incredible. It was a, <laughs> a, In fact, when he retires, they you could make a case the Lakers should retire his number just well, for that I Game just, 5 performance. He must have had a... He must have had a Cleveland jersey on Saturday night because uh, he's the lead ref, if I re- recall. Yeah, I saw him. I was like, oh, no. Yeah, it's one of those. Him and Bill Kennedy. Although I don't know if Bill Kennedy still has it out for us, but Scott Foster, you just see him, you're like, oh, no. Oh, boy. Well, I, I think it's pretty bad when somebody who doesn't watch the game simply reads that the players lost it, there were technicals called, <laughs> and you just assumed score. Scott. You thought Scott Foster or Tony Brothers must have been involved. <laughs> Tony Brothers is another one. Although he's well, not just he's bad for one. us, he's bad for every single team in the I, league. Was, he doesn't discriminate. Say, yeah, I don't. I don't think Tony Brothers has it out for you. No, I think he. I think he's just incompetent. He has uh, it out for the sport of basketball. Whereas where Scott Foster has this stellar reputation. No, nah, not, not really anymore. Not anymore. No, nah, he's not good. Well, because of our podcast, probably. Yeah. Well, he's any, probably listen. He's probably going to listen this afternoon. I look forward to us leading the Cavs two to one in the playoff series, and then seeing him for Game Four in Boston, right. just being like, "Oh no, oh god, here we go." <laughs> well, I love Brad Stevens, and I'm going to vote for him for for the presidency. I, you know, I I almost when I went when I voted for the primary uh, last week, I almost wrote his name in. You just. <laughs> Brad Stevens Belichick? <laughs> no, Brad, Brad Stevens. Is, uh, is, I'm not going to share which party I'm Yeah, yeah, don't with, do that. But, Please don't. Yeah. Okay. Um, thanks to Slender Tone Connect, the smart fitness device that tones and tightens your abs using clinically proven EMS technology, Slender Tone Connect creates your personal toning plan, tracks workouts, and gives you firmer, more toned abs within six weeks. Visit slendertone.com today. Receive 20% off using BS at checkout. Thanks to Callaway. Remember, they worked with the world's leading aerodynamic engineers from Boeing to find even more speed for their new XR driver, larger head, streamlined shape, hotter face, extremely forgiving. Visit CallawayGolf.com for more information on the new XR driver from Callaway. Forgiveness meets fast. Thanks to HBO Now. Download the HBO Now app and start your free one-month trial today. You don't need cable or satellite to watch HBO anymore. Thanks to SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast at Channel 33. Don't forget to follow The Ringer on Twitter, at Ringer. Don't forget to subscribe to our upcoming newsletter at TheRinger.com. Did you subscribe to our newsletter, Dad? I did. All right, good. That's It's coming out in about two weeks. Maybe we'll I'm give... I'm looking forward to it, and I'm going to write a letter this afternoon to Callaway saying that they sponsored me on the podcast, and in in, in 
that I therefore I would like them to sponsor me with the NBA league pass. <laughs> maybe they should do that. Yeah. Instead of a driver, maybe they spot. Yeah, I don't play golf. It's anymore. like thirty dollars for the rest of the season, you cheapskate. <laughs> I'm just going to send you a check. Uh, maybe for your BS podcast today, your your All appearance right. today. All right, Dad. I'll uh, I'll talk to you in the week. Thanks. All right, take care. Bye. We about this bitch. Anytime y'all want to see me again. Rewind this track right here, close your eyes, and picture me rolling.